Good morning, everybody. Uh, in the movie Castaway, Chuck Nolan, uh, played by Tom Hanks, is a Federal Express executive who on Christmas Day is suddenly called upon to take a business trip. So he says goodbye to his fiance and boards a FedEx plane. The plane subsequently uh, encounters a powerful storm and winds up going down somewhere in the South Pacific. Chuck happens to make his way into a life raft and after several harrowing hours being tossed about in the open seas in the middle of the night, he uh, washes up on shore, on the shore of a, of a uh, small desert island. He has no idea what happened to the other people on board the plane uh, or the plane itself. He's just alone, uh, relatively unharmed, but uh, uh, just stranded on this desert island, just himself and a handful of packages that have also washed up on the shore. Initially, he leaves the uh, packages unopened, believing that he will soon be rescued and those, passage, uh, those packages uh, still delivered. But as days go by, he begins to realize that his survival is his priority, and some of the packages may contain items that will help him survive. So he begins opening them, and if you remember in the movie, uh, he opens all of them except for one. Uh, the one package has uh, uh, so, some golden wings on, on it as a decoration. Uh, for some reason, he doesn't open that one. But in the packages he opens, he finds all kinds of items that prove to be useful to some degree. Ice skates that he is able to use as, as an axe, uh, a collection of videotapes that he uses uh, for, for rope, uh, a dress with lace trim on it that he fashions into a fishing net, and, and a bunch of other stuff, including a soccer ball, which um, after accidentally cutting his hand trying to start a fire, in frustration, he strikes the ball with his hand, leaving a bloody handprint on it, which kind of looks a little bit like a, a face if you use your imagination. Well, as time passes, Chuck Nolan more and more finds himself talking to the soccer ball, which he has named Wilson, because that was the brand name of the ball, uh, but it's clearly printed on it. Fast forward, Chuck Nolan winds up being stranded on that island for over four years desperately alone, isolated, cut off from any human contact whatsoever, surviving on fish that he catches and, and what little, what few edible plants uh, he's able to forage. During that time, he has so humanized Wilson the soccer ball that he literally treats it like a person. He, he's talking to it, imagining it's talking back to him, arguing with it, even on occasion getting angry with it, having verbal fights, you know, with it, e even though, of course, it never moves, it, it never speaks, it never does anything, it just sits there. But then one day, a large plastic sheet washes up on, on shore, and Chuck realizes that he can use this as a sail. So he builds a makeshift raft, rigs up the sail, boards a raft, bringing a few items with him, including, of course, Wilson, as well as the one unopened package with the gold wings on it. He finally leaves the items, uh, le finally leaves the island uh, on his crude little raft, hoping against hope to find some inhabited place or a boat or some sign of civilization. He quickly encounters a storm at sea and in an intense, intense and, and emotional scene, uh, Wilson is washed overboard. Chuck dives into trying to save Wilson, but the waves and the current are just too strong, and he is too weak from malnourishment, and, and Wilson slowly drifts away as Chuck, climbing back aboard the raft, sobs uncontrollably, saying over and over again, 
Wilson, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Wilson. And it really is an emotional scene. Your heart is breaking uh, because his heart is breaking, even though you fully realize the tremendous loss that Chuck Nolan is feeling in that moment is really no loss at all. Because, you know, in fact, in reality, his attempts to mitigate his perceived loss in that moment is, is actually putting his life at risk. Chuck almost drowns trying to save what is in reality a soccer ball. Nothing more in reality. Well, you know the rest of the story, or if you don't, you can watch the movie. It's a great movie, one of my favorites, and, and I don't want to give everything away. But, but here's why I thought it appropriate to include that, that story in our series titled Human. We're in a series titled Human. Here's why I thought it was in, important to include that story. Why does virtually no one think it weird that Chuck, in the movie, winds up treating an inanimate rubber soccer ball like a human being? Literally, no one thinks, you know, what an absurd concept to include in a story supposedly depicting real life. No, <laughs> we all get it. We, we totally get it. We, we all know we'd probably do the same thing in that situation. Some of us have done very similar things in far less severe circumstances. See, we all recognize our desperate need for connection and relationship as human beings, so desperate that we find ourselves when we find ourselves lacking in relationship and connection for some reason or in some way, we often have a tendency to fill that relational void in very disordered and dysfunctional ways, even to the point of projecting human qualities and characteristics onto animals, you know, our pets, sometimes houseplants. Maybe you've known people that do this, that to talk to their houseplants and pet their houseplants, you know. Or, 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 or sometimes even inanimate objects like a soccer ball or, or, or machines. Think of how many movies Hollywood has produced that incorporate humanized machines, you know, like the movie WALL-E. Remember WALL-E from, what, 20 years or so ago? Or, or iRobot. Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them out there. Uh, maybe one of the earliest ones is 2001 Space Odyssey with the... Uh, the, the computer that was, had very human characteristic named Hal, you know. More recently, a movie simply titled Her, where, where a guy falls in love with his personal digital assistant, which is an app on his phone. This is not a comedy. This is a, romant, a romance movie. Um, see, these kinds of things provide evidence of our deep, hardwired, need for relationship and connection, but also provides evidence that this longing and desire for relationship and connection is easily distorted in our tendency to try to sometimes satisfy our need for connection and relationship in very disordered and dysfunctional ways. And this is nothing new. This is nothing new. We've been making idols for ourselves since the beginning of recorded history, crafting things with our own hands and then bestowing on those objects human-like qualities or characteristics, e even divine qualities and characteristics, and then, and then worshiping those things. And you know, there, there are literally efforts in our own day to try to create, to, to make, to manufacture artificial intelligence via computers so powerful that they will supposedly solve many, if not most, of the world's problems. As if our problems all stem from our inability to make, you know, comp, comp 
complex calculations. We humans are trying to create something which we can then elevate to the place where we consider it to have superior intelligence and judgment and then, and then apparently do what it tells us, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course, there is a place for computers and artificial intelligence. But the degree to which some people are suggesting we can or should carry those things is, uh, is a little concerning. I don't know if you feel that way as well, but I, I, to me, it's a little concerning. So we're in this series, this sermon series called Human, which is all about what it means to be a human being from a biblical perspective which, as I've tried to underscore every week in this series, is a subject matter that has catastrophic consequences, consequences for the entire human race. That is not an overstatement. And I hope you've been kind of following along and picking that up as we've been going along. This is fundamentally what this series is all about. And it's really not difficult to see. If the prevailing thought about human beings is that we are nothing more than highly evolved animals, or even worse, as a growing number of people seem to think, human beings are a cancer, a virus, a horrible disease wreaking havoc and chaos on an otherwise beautiful, balanced, and harmonized planet. If, if that is the prevailing thought about human beings, it is obvious how someone who thinks that way is going to treat other human beings. They're, they're going to treat them well, like the young man I, I quoted a, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, who wrote this, who wrote, the human race isn't worth fighting for, only worth killing. Give the earth back to the animals. They deserve it infinitely more than we do. In case you haven't figured it out, I say kill all mankind. And this young man then went out, out and murdered 12 of his classmates and one teacher at Columbine High School before killing himself and his accomplice. And we wonder why... Things like mass shootings are so common today. If, if the prevailing thought is that human beings are nothing more than highly evolved animals, or worse, a cancer or a virus, then we should not be at all shocked at the wholesale devaluing of all human life. Of, of, uh, we shouldn't be shocked at all. Of, of hundreds of millions of people being killed by their own government over the past 80, uh, 80 years, or, or by the over 63 million children alone being killed as a matter of expediency over the past 50 years, or, or the mass confusion and perplexity about what, if anything, makes human life worth living. What, if anything, gives human life purpose, meaning, and value? If the prevailing thought is true, that there is no God, and that human beings are merely highly evolved animals, then, the, then those questions about life's purpose and meaning are, are pointless ones. As atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell once said, I do not think man's existence has any purpose. Purposes can only be assigned to sentient beings, and therefore, one who does not believe in God can only recognize the individual purposes of separate men and animals. In, in other words, if there is no God, well, then everybody just make up your own purpose. The purpose you come up with is every bit as good as anybody else's. Just be advised that ultimately there is no purpose is the way this thinking goes. And that is the prevailing idea today. 
Everybody just decide for yourself what your purpose is. Everybody just live your own truth, follow your own heart. You do you because, well, as the famed theologian Freddie Mercury once said, nothing really matters. Anyone can see nothing really matters. Any way the wind blows. Nothing matters except what you decide matters to you. Nothing matters except your truth, regardless of whether your truth is even true, because it doesn't matter. See, it's become very apparent that very few people are actually interested in truth today. And probably one of the main reasons for this is because truth is often hard. Truth is often hard. Very few people are on a truth quest today, but everyone, everyone, without exception, is on a happiness quest. The question is, is it really possible to be ultimately happy when we refuse to embrace reality? Certainly you can be happy for a while, living in an alternate reality of your own making in, in, in a place that isn't even real. But if you are living, consist in, if you are living inconsistently with reality, when reality finally catches up to you, which invariably it does, it's not likely you will be happy. Truth is often hard. But Jesus said the truth can make you free. I like to travel. I particularly like road trips. I like discovering new places. I love the solitude, you know, driving through the countryside, passing through little out-of-the-way towns and villages. I love the scenery, at least when the scenery is pleasant, you know, not so much driving through those long, straight desert areas where everything looks the same for mile after mile. I try to avoid those routes as much as possible, but sometimes you just can't avoid them. They're just, you know, you have to go through those. Still, it's a road trip, and I, and I, overall, I really enjoy road trips. But there are a few things I don't like about road trips. One is getting lost. Not that much fun. That doesn't happen all that much anymore because of navigation systems built into our vehicles and smartphones. You're never lost these days, right? You always have an amazingly reliable interactive map right at your fingertips, giving you turn-by-turn -turn directions. You might miss an exit every once in a while, but, but you're never really lost anymore. Those of you who are young, uh, younger, you probably don't remember uh, a time before personal navigation systems having to rely on maps made of paper that were often very challenging because you couldn't always figure out where you were at on the map, right? You had a map, perhaps even a very reliable map, but it wasn't always easy to figure out where on the map you were. Lots of marital growth happened as a result of those old paper maps. The other thing I don't like about road trips is getting traffic tickets, uh, or worse yet, getting in an accident, uh, which thankfully I've, I've never experienced that. The traffic tickets... Uh, yeah, I've had a few of those. Uh, on one occasion, I got two speeding tickets on the same trip on the same day. Yeah, uh, that was a while back, and I've learned since then to value uh, the value of obeying traffic, uh, traffic laws. But obviously, obviously, no one goes on a road trip to see how many traffic rules they can obey. That, I have observed, is especially true of some of you. <laughs> Uh, you know who you are. Uh, but, but following the traffic rules is never the point of the trip, right? And neither is using your navigation system. But imagine 
a road trip where you didn't have a navigation system or, or you just decided to completely ignore your navigation system or worse yet, worse yet, you decide to make your own hand-drawn map that actually had very little to do with reality, that, that didn't actually represent the way things actually were. Accuracy was not a consideration in drawing up your map. You preferred to create a map that had lots of mountain passes with, with you know, lakeside vistas. And so you just drew them in arbitrarily on your map wherever your personal creative expression compelled you to do so. You also decided on this road trip to ignore all the traffic rules. Just make up your own rules. Drive on whatever side of the road feels right to you. Ignore all the traffic signs and warning signs. They're just so restrictive and oppressive. Obviously, anyone who embarked on such a road trip would very quickly get hopelessly lost and probably wouldn't go very far before they got into a serious accident possibly sustaining severe injury to themselves and maybe even to other travelers. And yet, and yet, spiritually and morally and even intellectually, that's precisely what a lot of people are doing today and encouraging others to do as well, cheering them on, applauding them for their courage in following their own truth. It's an extremely popular idea today, but an extremely dangerous one. Because as we've talked about very often at Hope, truth isn't something you can just make up. We've, we've actually done an entire series uh, on this, ma many of them over the years, addressing this fallacy that everyone can just have their own truth. It should be somewhat, it, it, it should be something that is pretty obvious, just common sense. Truth is reality. It's what actually is. Our understanding of truth is like our, uh, our mental map. To the degree that our mental map represents and conforms to what actually is, you know, to reality, to that degree it is useful, it is helpful, it is, it is a blessing to us and not a curse. But when our mental maps don't represent reality, but instead represent our own personal preferences and opinions about the way we may wish reality actually was, to that degree, our mental maps become a curse, a snare, harmful and destructive to us. This is fundamental to our being human. As human beings, we need a map, an accurate map, one that represents reality, the way things actually are. We were not created for complete autonomy, just to go our own way and follow a map of our own making. We recognize the foolishness of those who lived in ancient times and, and made idols with their own hands and then offered sacrifices to them, but we don't recognize our own foolishness in making up and manufacturing maps that are products of our own imaginations and giving our whole lives to following those maps, often with tragically absurd and disastrous results. Two passages, in, uh, two, two passages say, the, say the exact same thing in the book of Proverbs. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There is a way that appears to be right, but ultimately it ends in death. Another translation says this, what you think is the right road may lead to death. 
See, we have been wired in such a way by our Creator that we need truth. We need a proper understanding of what is real and what is true. We need direction and guidance. In short, we were created with a need for God, who is the source of all truth. In fact, Jesus himself said, I am truth. What a strange thing for a human being to say. I am the truth. Unless, of course, he actually is the truth, the very personification of truth. In fact, the actual quote is this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, most people don't like statements like that. These are not very popular statements. The truth is often hard, but Jesus said it can set you free. Jesus, Jesus said, people, humanity is lost apart from God. They are without the way. They are without the truth, without life, like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus said. Headed for destruction. That's what Jesus said. We need God, who is the one and only source of truth and life for all of humanity. Now, that's either true or it's not. Okay? Simple logic and common sense will tell you it's not possible for a statement like that to be kind of true or you know, true for some people but not for others. It's either the reality of our situation as human beings, all, all of us, or it's not the reality of our situation. The Apostle John, a member of Jesus' inner circle, begins his account, with, uh, of, of his uh, his account of the life and teachings of Jesus uh, with these words. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. All things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. These are some very bold assertions, are they not? And they are either true or they're not true. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, those are some very bold assertions. These statements are either true or they're not true. Now, we spent a lot of time over the years uh, at Hope here plunging the depth of these assertions, presenting very detailed arguments, pointing to very compelling evidence as to why any intelligent, rational person can confidently believe that these things are true. We've talked about this often, and most of you don't need convincing that are here today, and though some of you still do. Statistically, Statistically, less than half, only 43% of church-going Christians in the U United States embrace the idea of absolute truth. That's shocking. While more than half of church-going Christians have adopted the secular idea that everyone can and should live their own truth, which when you really think about it, is not rational or logical. 
The Christian biblical position is that human beings were created to live under a higher authority, one that is above, above us all in intellect, in wisdom, morality, and justice, the authority of the Creator God. That higher authority tells us that murder is wrong, tells us that cheating and deception is wrong, that stealing is wrong, that enslaving others is wrong, that abusing others and defrauding others is wrong. That higher authority tells us that these things are wrong, even if one day the majority of the people decide that those things are not wrong. Or even if, if, even if someone's truth tells them that it's not wrong for them. This higher authority is, is one that we were all created to live under, and it, it, it is as firm and timeless and unchanging and, it, and as immovable as the laws of physics. Here's what I'm driving at today, okay? And this is really, most of you know everything I've said. Uh, it's just a reminder for most of us, but it's also going to set the stage of where I want to go next in this series. And listen, if you haven't listened to all the messages in this series, I really encourage you to do so because we start very foundational and basic, and each idea is kind of building on the next one. So, um, and, and, and as I've stressed, this is such an important, uh, these are important concepts for the day that we live in. So I encourage you to, to go back and listen to all these messages. But um, here's what I'm driving at today. As Jesus followers, we recognize and embrace this higher moral truth that is outside of us and that is above us, this moral truth that we are commanded to conform to. We have been given a map to follow. We, we are never at any point encouraged or invited to create our own maps, to invent new truths and new moral laws that suit us uh, or that conform to the way we wish things were, you know, the way we would like them to be. We recognize a capital T truth that is true independent of our opinions, our ideas, and our preferences. And as Jesus followers, we recognize and embrace the reality that we will, each one of us, one day be held accountable for how we aligned our lives with that higher truth. This is what it means to be a human. This is what God intended for every human being that he created, which is all of them. When we ignore this, we become inhumane, less than human. When we ignore this higher authority, we do great harm to our humanity. So consequently, we humans, we are continually needing to course correct and to realign our thinking and our beliefs and our values and our behaviors to this higher supreme authority. In a practical sense, it means continual thought and prayer and self-examination needs to be taking place all the time in our hearts, in our minds. But here's the problem. Our problem is, that's hard. The truth is often hard. It's difficult, even though it's ultimately what sets us free. But because it's hard, many of us choose to ignore it, to suppress it, to deny it, and to discard it in favor of our own version of truth. But we always do so to our detriment at the expense of our ultimate freedom. Thomas Nagel, an atheist who authored a popular 
uh, introduction to philosophy titled, What Does It All Mean? He makes an astonishingly honest admission. This is what he writes. I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right about my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. 20th century ethics professor Mortimer Adler, who, who was an atheist for most of his life, but became a Christian later in life and was baptized actually at age 81. He confessed to rejecting truth and moral absolutes for most of his life because, quote, it would require a radical change in my way of life a basic alteration in the direction of my day-to-day -day choices as well as in the ultimate objectives to be sought and hoped for. The simple truth of the matter is that I did not wish to live up to being a genuinely religious person. See, our journey as Jesus followers is one of constant course correction, constant and continual seeking the truth despite how hard or unpleasant that truth may sometimes be, and realigning our thinking and our behavior and our values to align with a map that is above us all, higher than us all, a, a map we are foolish to think that we can edit or alter in any way. And God has lovingly made a commitment to us that if we genuinely wanted to, we would know the truth, and the truth would actually, instead of enslaving and oppressing us, it would set us free. If we would seek it and earnestly desire it, we can hide from the truth. We, we have that ability. We can suppress it. We can deny it. We have been given that ability as human beings. We can hide from the truth to our own detriment. But God continually calls to us in this verse from the Psalms, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. See, we may think the map that we've been given stifles our personal creative expression. We may not, we may not like the traffic rules. They may seem hard and oppressive to us, but those, those who have followed the map, the capital M map, those who have followed the map and embraced the map and are learning to, to follow the rules of the road, they have come to know and understand that the journey can be an incredibly satisfying, fulfilling, joy-filled adventure full of discovery and freedom. In his book, Truth Changes Everything, Dr. Jeffrey Myers writes this. He says, The truth is often hard to find, not because it hides itself, but because we are looking in the wrong place within ourselves. It is like trying to find your way with a compass by positioning yourself so that the needle always points to you. We, we find that absurd, and yet that's the way most people live their lives today. As Jesus followers, we are learning to develop a passionate hunger for true north. To, to, to long for and to seek to possess a brutally accurate map of reality. Truth. We're learning to, to live every day with, with a humble dependence upon God, praying in humility and submission. Dear God, help me see and obey the truth today. Dear God, help me correct my faulty thinking 
help me help me help my tendency to deceive myself help me to to not do that open my eyes to your truth even if it's hard even if it it, it exposes my weakness my foolishness and pride and my sin god help me to develop a love for the truth the truth is often hard particularly when you resist it deny it and suppress it but you know what when you embrace the truth interestingly it suddenly becomes not so hard anymore in fact it becomes liberating freeing now worship team you got once you guys make your way back up here um, now for those of you who think of yourselves as truth warriors let me close with just one more quote from Dr. Jeff Myers' book, Truth Changes Everything. Action is called for. This is for those of you that, you know, you know I'm a truth warrior. Yeah, preach it, Jim. I'm feeling you, bro. You know, let's, let's pick up our swords. And let's, you know, if you think of yourself as a truth warrior, here's, here's a good quote for you. Action is called for, but not of the burn-it-all-down utopian sort. Rather, the way of Jesus calls for a completely upside-down way of life. Love, and this is so good, love don't hate. Give don't take. Create don't destroy. Hope don't fear. Build up don't tear down. Now, next week I'm going to be addressing a, verily, a very morally and politically charged topic. The value of human life from womb to tomb. Yes, next week we're going to go there. And, and you might be thinking you already know what I'm going to say about it, but you might be wrong. And, and I know a lot of people have already ha have firmly entrenched, you know, thoughts and ideas on that topic. But, but I hope you'll be open to the possibility that you might hear a perspective that you haven't heard before. And as always, listen to me. As always, whether you've had an abortion or are considering having an abortion, or, or, or would never consider having an abortion, you are welcome here. You are loved here and valued. There is no judgment. And I hope you'll join us next week for that message. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, you said that we would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Jesus, you also said that you are the truth. Help us, Lord, to embrace the truth even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. Nobody here measures up to the standard of truth and morality you have established for us. Not one of us here. But you have extended your grace to us when we embrace the truth about our situation and learn to love the truth and not despise it, not resist it or suppress it or ignore it. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us your grace. And thank you that you died on the cross to fill the gap for us. That is a glorious truth, Lord. Help us to embrace the truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen.